1: Org. Enjoy. Welcome to the Society for History of Children and Youth podcast. My name is Anna Catherine Kendrick, uh, and I'm the author of Humanizing Childhood in Early 20th Century Spain. I'm joined today by Erica Moretti, uh, who is the author of The Best Weapon for Peace: Maria Montessori Education. And children's rights and i'm excited to have this conversation today and learn more about the work in this book uh, erica could you introduce yourself briefly and we'll move into more discussion
0: of course Anna. thank you so much for agreeing to do this and thank you everybody who is listening my name is erica moretti and i'm an assistant professor at the fashion institute of technology suny and i'm very excited to be here today
1: Wonderful. So we both come from departments of literature and cultural studies, actually, which may be an unusual background for this particular podcast. Um, And we both write on education, the history of education um, and progressive pedagogies in some form or other. So I'm I'm really interested by that and by that overlap. So what is it that brought you to Montessori, um, having trained with this background in 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 Italian history, literature, cultural studies, how how does that background shape the work you do and and why do you think it's so important to bring them together?
0: That's a great question. Um, Actually, you know, I think I came to appreciate the work of Maria Montessori as a, a pedagogue and educator more by teaching and teaching specifically language. Uh, there's one on the principle of the Montessori pedagogy that has to do with the distance between the teacher and the student, and this is something that as somebody who's like very active in class and sort of uh, very hands-on, I found particularly hard to sort of like abide to, but the idea is that the teacher in the classroom has to be, uh, or the Montessori teacher in the classroom has to be um, just as a scientist who uh, sort of overviews the process and looks at the process, uh, at the sort of like scientific process right in front of her without intervening. And, you know, as I deepened my work with Maria Montessori, I tried to apply that principle in my classes. And I think I became a better teacher, I became a better language teacher, which is mostly what I do with my work. But I, of course, also teach uh, uh, content courses or history courses on Italian culture. And I also, there too, I try to apply this principle. Um, And also, I think that, I mean, the way I think about historical research has been tremendously enriched by being in a department of uh, Italian studies. My advisors were historians, but I was also exposed to several cultural studies courses, you know, I had to take my Dante classes, etc. But I think that Montessori saw education as, I mean, first of all, Montessori's writing is deeply interdisciplinary she cites, uh, you know, the Holy Scripture, and uh, she referenced biology, and, you know, a couple of lines later, this Dante again. So see, like, my background is very much, uh, like, allowed me to read her her writing in a, you know, sort of like a deep and complete way, in a way that I I wouldn't have been able to, if I were just studying history, I think.
1: Mm, That's 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 fascinating. Um, And on that note, uh, I mean, speaking to uh, an audience perhaps of of educators and historians of education and of childhood, um, of course Montessori is best known for the pedagogy that bears her name, but your book makes a strong case for a much more, a wider and more encompassing view of Montessori, um, one that extends to a larger pacifist, a global project that has philosophical and humanitarian reach. So when did you begin to see Montessori in this different light? Um, Why should we see Montessori in this light? Um, and why do you think that this more, perhaps more political angle has been neglected, uh, if, if, if it has?
0: I mean, the, the, the last part of your question is really interesting, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot uh, about it. So I think that the reason why Montessori has not been studied as a pacifist, it's the way, it depends on the fact that um, her pacifist work from the very same disciples of Maria Montessori was packaged as a phase. Uh, When Montessori was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1949, 1950, and 51, uh, the application for the Nobel Peace Prize uh, uh, shows Montessori as a pacifist in the 1930s. Uh, You know, she starts being engaged with education and pacifism, and and this to a certain extent is true. I mean, Montessori writes overtly about this topic and uh, sort of in a more precise and specific way in the 1930s. But what I found out with my research is instead that she was working on this topic from different angles and in different ways throughout her life. So for example, how do you connect the writings, education and peace, which come out in the 19, they came out in the 1940s, but she, uh, those are speeches that she delivers in the, 1930, in the 1930s. How do you connect them with, uh, for example, an op-ed that she writes fresh out of medical school, you know, age 30, more or less in 1896, on the end of the colonial war in Africa? Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea is that she was deeply engaged in pacifism throughout her life. Of course, a woman in A young woman in her 30s uh, is a different person from a woman in her 70s, but that it's sort of like the goal of achieving peace remain in the background and it sort of remain as the ultimate goal that she wanted to achieve. The the title of my book, The Best Weapon for Peace is a citation from uh, uh, one of Montessori's speeches on education and peace, and it would be education is the best weapon for peace. So the argument is that, and of course the argument is sort of uh, uh, presented in a a way that it is provocative to entice the reader, but the argument is that um, the ultimate goal of uh, Montessori's pedagogical inquiry was to achieve uh, or to bring the child to be a peaceful human being that being within the immediate environment or as an adult, a satisfied individual, who will naturally resort to peace and avoid conflict.
1: Um, so I was interested then in, in that thread. I, I was recently asked by someone about moral education and how it plays into some of the work research I've done. And I found, found I didn't have a satisfactory answer at that point. And so I was delighted to see that the sections in your book that speak to moral education as such um, And makes a a direct link to peace education or education for peace. Um, One term that particularly stood out to me was, um, and excuse my my Italian pronunciation, uh, (laughs) the process of making somebody kind as you translate it. Um, That sense of kindness is, uh, it's it's unusual to find, I think, in a pedagogy at that time and, and in um, and thinking of it as a, as a core principle. Can you speak to what you mean um, by this term and, and, and this larger process, project of peace, um, of restorative uh, education as another term you use? Uh, what, is, what is Montessori doing there? And what are the cornerstones or the, the, the methods and the, the ways that she puts this project forward?
0: Right, so Montessori mainly write one, she writes one major work, one major book, and rewrites it in five editions. And so um, for me to go back and study moral education, or sort of like the first uh, step in achieving peace, uh, I went back to her major text, which is uh, the uh, Montessori Method, It's title in English. It came, comes out in 1912 in English, but she writes it in Italian in 1909. And so within this first book, Montessori looks at uh, moral education for the first time, and she thinks about how uh, I mean, the process of making the child kind is something that she uh, she elaborates by thinking about artistic education, which is also connected to your first question on interdisciplinarity. Again, like how do you achieve, uh, um, how do you shape a moral human being is something that Montessori will keep on thinking about throughout her life in the so-called confessional phase, uh, the 1915 to the 1930s, she will work on uh, religious education. But right at the beginning of her career, she's thinking about art would make, would sort of like um, uh, develop a sort of empathy between the child and the environment. And so that kind of empathy is uh, uh, constructed within the classroom by having the child produce object through uh, sort of like shaping, uh, oh my God, how do you call it, like making mm-hmm. ceramics. Right? Yeah, pottery, ceramics. Yes, making pottery. Yeah, pottery yeah, Potter is the right word. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and she borrows the approach to artistic education from a person she was collaborating with, Francesco Randone, um, and she Randone had created the Scuola dell'Arte Gentile, the school for kind art, and the goal of like working and shaping this uh, sort of like raw matter into something that is useful and that the child can contribute to the environment with, like sculpture, that. I suppose. Right right, 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 right. So, right. sculpting something like an artifact mm. that can be useful for the class allows the child to sort of like contribute to the well-being of his peers and of the environment. The mm. you know the artifacts also needs to be. This is something that Montessori stresses a lot within her uh, first work. Everything in the classroom has to be beautiful. The child has to have an appreciation of the environment that will allow him to continue this development of uh, sort of like cleaning up and sort of like keeping the environment neat because he would sort of have an invest in emotional and artistic investment in sort of, uh, uh, in maintaining the classroom in a certain way. And his empathy to the environment would then extend on to his peers, you know, and uh, uh, and to his family. And, and that sort of uh, creates sort of concentric circle of influence that expand on, you know, from the family to the neighborhood, to the city and to the nation. So I would call that sort of a moral education or the first reflection of moral education to be uh, sort of the first time that Montessori starts thinking about how, the, how does the child relate in an harmonic way to the environment? I mean, through, um, through artistic education, he will develop this sense of like uh, ownership uh, of the environment. Again, this is something that Montessori thinks on a micro scale in the beginning, but then it would extend when she talks about cosmic education onto the environment and sort of a, she would call it a global ecology when she talks in the 1940s and 50s about the relationship of the child and of men to the environment. And so, yeah, I could also see how, and this is a sort of a connection that few Montessori scholars have made already, but it's also trying to think about her work in a more holistic way? How do her first writing dialogue with what she wrote later in life? Right.
1: How does how does Montessori's thought um, fit into the wider thread of of pedagogic reform at the time? Because the sense of um, of, a, of a humanistic and holistic approach, you know, how does that fit into the field of new education, for instance, of um, new education forum? How, of course, Montessori is, is a is a leader in the field at the time, but <laughs> How distinct is her project, let's say, or philosophical uh, development from what's happening around her in the field of education?
0: I mean, she's very much in dialogue with the major uh, pedagogues of the time. She is in touch with uh, uh, the IBE, uh, the International Bureau of Education. Uh, um, and she's uh, considered, I mean, when she comes to the United States in 1913, she gives a talk at Carnegie Hall and John Dewey is the one introducing her. Mm-hmm. But the, um, especially within the United States, since the, we're talking from the United States, uh, uh, the criticism regarding Montessori's contribution to the field of pedagogy are major since the very beginning. William Kilpatrick, who's a disciple of uh, John Dewey, heavily criticizes Maria Montessori in a book that comes out in 1915, so a few years after Montessori's first trip to the U.S., and she had a big investment into coming to the United States and opening a, you know, research institute and establishing herself in the United States. Uh, she had recently also been criticized uh, in Italy uh, in 1914. The Italian, um, the Italian government sort of uh, uh, puts together a committee to look into what's the best pedagogical methodology for the Italian child The Montessori is discarded because she's too, the Montessori child uh, gets too much freedom for the Italian government. Mm-hmm. The Italian child needs to be regimented and cannot actually. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's a, a beautiful article that comes out uh, by Giuseppe Sergi, a famous Anthropologist and uh, a member of the School of uh, um, Positive Criminology, who said, who was a mentor of Montessori who says like, Montessori should go, to, you know, in anglophone countries, like that. She would, her methodology is better suited for the, you know, for the American child, not for the Italian one. <laughs> freedom." Yeah. And, and I think it is, you know, sort of like if you think about Montessori today, yeah, I don't know, there's a, a really funny vignette of the New Yorker, it's a school of Montessori school, it's a school of fish and everybody goes in a million direction and that's the message that you hear about Montessori, it's education to freedom, right. So, I, I you know, but, but she's also heavily criticized in the US specifically for that. And the biggest criticism has to do with the fact that working independently wouldn't foster uh, socialization and cooperation among peers, and and I do think that that had to do also with the sort of objectives of uh, um, uh, sort of the pedagogical discourse in the United States at the time. Hmm. The the last the, you know the fact that Montessori is. Uh, um, um, the, the, you know the fact that montessori it's, it's hard to find studies that connect montessori to other to other pedagogical schools and I think that has to do mostly from the from the fact that uh, montessori organizations um have thought to sort of like promote the originality of montessori's thought in a way that has made it like not easy to find dialogue to have dialogue with other schools do you know what I'm talking about like it's that, yeah
1: i can i can i can i can see that because so many of the ideas that you're saying i they're very much Montessori's thought. They're coming out of her writings and and which you've studied you know, so deeply. Um, but they seem in, in sync with conversations that are happening. And, and that's why that why I, you know, asked that question, you are know, looking for what's what's you know, what's happening and, and how is she linking up? And 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 I'm sure that there were debates and disagreements and and infighting and, yeah, and all of that major, as well major
0: organizations are not or have not helped in the past sort of uh, uh establish those connections like the sort of interdisciplinarity as Montessori's thoughts it's something that is coming up now from scholarship mostly in Italy and that has to do with the fact that you know when you have to prove that the person you're promoting whose methodology you're promoting was in fact a legitimate pedagogue you're not looking for connections you're you're actually trying to sort of like Narrow down to what she says, she said, and sort of like just you know, um, emphasize how regional it was. And so, I think in terms of scholarship, things are happening, they're happening mostly in Italy, which has to do also with the fact that the Montessori archives are fairly scattered. And uh, uh, but 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 it is happening, and it's very exciting.
1: So, um one of the things that that perhaps is quite unique to Montessori um you you talk about Montessori's uh interest in in what she called the white cross um, and also work with um wounded soldiers in world war one um can you can you tell us more about this and and it's, I, it's yeah. a really fascinating I think <laughs> under under known or under aspect Absolutely. of her work and thought as it relates to peace
0: so um the main idea behind the book is that Montessori was a pacifist and a humanitarianist. And that, so she worked on peace on a both theoretical and practical level. Um, uh, from a practical standpoint, uh, I, Montessori uh, worked on a couple of occasions to create uh, an organization for civilians who had been impacted by the war. When she works on the creation of, where she wants to create the White Cross, we're in the midst of World War I. Uh, Montessori had just connected with uh, one of her disciples, an American woman who had studied the Montessori method in Rome. She had traveled to Rome from France where she was living and uh, had established three Montessori schools in the outskirts of the city of Paris. Uh, And uh, the schools were created in 19, 19, excuse me, 15 or 16. And they were specifically for the refugees of uh, Norton, France, and Belgium, which had recently been invaded by the German army. So what Montessori does is that she's, uh, uh, she gets a letter from uh, this woman, Mary Rebecca Cromwell, and she uh, travels in the midst of World War I to Paris, uh, because, she, because Cromwell thinks that the Montessori method is specifically um, sort of effective for the children who experience the war. So now Montessori was probably Montessori and Cromwell were thinking about what we will now term post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a term that would only come out 60, or 70, 60 years later. But uh, they were looking into sort of uh, uh, the um, disturbed, um, Montessori would use this term, disturbed mental faculties of these children who had been uh, uh, experiencing a lack of educational and emotional stimuli and who were now brought to these schools. Um, What Pramol does is to um, purchase the Montessori materials, Uh, she starts, uh, you know, sort of implementing the methodology with these kids, Montessori comes, and they both are able to ascertain that two factors within the Montessori method are specifically useful for these children to overcome their trauma, and one is the repetition of the activities, and the other one is that uh, the sort of uh, the activities are set up in a progressive way so that the child, depending on his uh, uh, sort of inner development, cognitive behavior of development, will approach a certain section of the material without being forced to sort of like start from the beginning. So according to the two of them, uh, those were the main factors that made the Montessori method so uh, sort of suitable for those who have been impacted by the, the by the war. And what Montessori does is that she expands this project not only to the classroom but to include society as a whole. It's uh, you know, we didn't go into the restorative education part uh that much within my previous question, but somebody who had been impacted by the war will need a restorative education, according to Montessori, who will help them overcome the trauma, in this case, the trauma of war. But Montessori would also call the trauma of neglect, right? Or, you know, the first children Montessori worked with were children of an impoverished neighborhood. So it's the same kind of education that they would both need. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what Montessori does is she tries to establish, establish his organization. Um, the organization would employ women, uh, uh, the widows of the battles of Verdun, Champagne, and Assam, um, because, uh, uh, because teaching and being employed and sort of like giving them something to do throughout the day that was stimulating and sort of uh, engaging and helping others, according to Montessori was a suitable way of helping them themselves overcome the traumas of the war. And she would also uh, set up uh, together with Cromwell uh, a Montessori workshop to create didactic material for the Montessori classroom for the soldiers who've been wounded by the war. So again, um, if you think about Montessori just when you think about a classroom, I think it's a, a restrictive way to think about, uh, the, to think about her. Uh, she was really, and I think the White Cross is pretty explicative of my point of view, she was really looking at a way of reforming society. Uh, she relentlessly writes to several people uh, to uh, get the fundings to open uh, to sort of uh, establish the white cross uh, she writes to Pope Benedict 15 uh, uh, clearly he's one of the few um, uh, who's asking for a, tru- a, a truce without winners during World War one she's ask- she is writing to um, uh, a psychiatrist in Italy she's writing to to um, just to give you an idea of uh, how many people, so on the one hand, you have the Pope, and on the other hand, you have the uh, head of a socialist organization in Milan. So she's really <laughs> sort of uh, also funny, targeting her requests to the people she was writing to. To the papacy, she says that, you know, the te- Montessori teachers of the White Cross would be sort of virgin and devoted to Jesus Christ. And she omits that when she writes, that she writes, ask for fundings to uh, the head of the Milanese socialist mm-hmm, organization, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's, it's very much of a, you know, she, she sort of like a cast a white net, but when it comes to the papacy, the reason why she doesn't get the, she doesn't get the support of the Pope, it's because the papacy never supports organizations that are not already up and running. So it's, uh, you know, okay. completely mm. normal, but, you know, like Montessori is working on this and at the same time, the Pope is receiving letters, for example, from Meglantin Jack the founder of the Save the Children Fund, which will be inaugurated in 1919. And Eglantine does get the support of the papacy because the organization is up and running, but she's also only looking for material support. What Montessori instead is looking for is uh, uh, sort of a a money to or like support to establish an organization that will look at not only sort of a, a, a way to feed the children and to provide them with a shelter, but a way to Montessori would call again, restore their minds and to heal the so-called, like she calls them uh, the, the mental wounds, that's the term she uses that have been inflicted mm-hmm. on these children. Um, so she, and in fact, the name, the White Cross, comes from the fact that she's thinking about sort of, uh, of course, the Red Cross, the cures, the physical wounds of combatants, uh, uh, and, you know, the redest with their blood but why it has to do with uh, with, the le- with the mental lesions, according to Montessori, the study they would, the children would experience. So that's also not surprising that the papacy doesn't want to engage in that. But she's really thinking about sort of like psychological support at a time in which support, psychological support for civilians was completely you know, un- you know, un- unheard of and un- addressed, I would say. Well, right, and it's been in the conversation of almost 30 years.
1: Right, it, it does feel very... Um before time, although of course there is all this work on the beginnings of post-traumatic stress um, you know, research and work on returned soldiers but to, to bring that to a therapeutic um, an art therapeutic angle and and in, in her work with children um, and I think one thing that I found so compelling in the book is actually the images that you you include of children teaching soldiers their techniques, their Montessori method. Uh, activities and and vice versa. So um, it's it's a lovely yeah. No, together, that was a,
0: a great last finding, and uh, it came from the uh, association Montessori Internacional. It was great. It's a um, it's an image from a pamphlet that Montessori put together to ask for funds, um, and it's uh, it's great. But it really gives you the idea of how like intermingle and sort of like speaking to one another. The various components of our projects were absolutely
1: yeah. And we get a sense in, in your. Last uh, answer of how widely I'm sorry, asks for funds, and and in a way how uh, savvy a um, or almost wily or, or um, creative a, a entrepreneur in some sense she was in, in looking to make things happen. Um, and on that note, I'm uh, I, I also want to bring forward another angle of your book, which I think is particularly notable, which is the ways in which you deal with um, Montessori's relationship to fascist Italy. And that's a period that uh, an involvement that would come as a surprise probably to many listeners. Um, And you note that Montessori worked under the patronage of the fascist government from 1922 to 1934. Um, And note that this is a collaboration biographers tend to soft pedal, that it's so difficult to reconcile this view of Montessori, which your book furthers um, in terms of children's rights and humanitarianism and pacifism um, as a pedagogue, quote, globally renowned for educating children through an emphasis on individual freedom. So to, to put that together with someone who collaborated with dictatorship. Um, and yet you also note that Montessori does leave once the d- political demands become Untenable. So, what's actually going on there? What do you make of this period? Um, how, yeah. how strongly do you condemn yeah. Montessori? What's um, how, how closely is she collaborating, and what does that actually mean for um, her notions of education, peace education?
0: It's it's been the hardest chapter to write, uh, especially because I'm 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 close in terms of that I've benefited from uh, uh, sort of uh, Maria Montessori's family's archives, and the family has been generous with me and welcoming. And uh, I mean, if you if you do read the biographies coming, you know, prior to what I've written, there are a few articles that in Italian that tackle the issue in a very serious way. But there's a tendency of saying that Montessori was above political parties, that she really wasn't interested in politics. And that's a thing that I never believed on. Um, Chapter three, the right, the chapter right before the one on fascism, is about Montessori in the United States and how she delivers her first lectures on peace right before um, she she's delivering her first lectures on peace, as she is in the United States, she's in San Diego, and uh, uh, those lectures happen as the United States is deciding to enter World War One. And the sort of this political savviness with which she analyzes the uh, sort of like the, the international politics of a country that she has been on and in for like a few months, to me, was astounding. I've been in the U.S. for 18 years, and I wouldn't have been able to do anything like that. And so I, you know, I started thinking that I wasn't convinced by the notion that Montessori was not interested in politics. Uh, it was impossible that Montessori was not aware of the violence occurring in Italy in 1925, 1926, and the sort of like the the, um, the solidification of the fascist regime. I, I just didn't think that I didn't believe that. So, I mean, I wrote a book about Montessori and pacifism. I do believe that she's a pacifist, and that would completely collide with the notion of Montessori collaborating with fascism. But again, she was, as you mentioned, she was, uh, you know, extremely invested in succeeding and believed in her methodology, and I think that, to a certain extent, she just didn't want to see what was occurring in Italy at the time. Um, she was also, uh, in a very human way, she really wanted to go back to Italy, which is something that, you know, somebody lives abroad and, uh, <laughs> you know, you study somebody for 12 years, there's a, you know, that human connection that you develop. But I understood that desire and the desire to be recognized in your home country was very strong for her. Uh, so I, I do think that she kind of decided not to look directly at what was occurring politically in Italy and uh, and try to sort of like find a way in between, uh, you know, sort of uh, the imposition of the fascist regime and what she could get off of it in terms of, uh, you know, again, furthering her study on the rights of the child and uh, and that remained her interest. But again, that, you know, she navigated uh, those waters and, you know, some collaborated and not collaborated, but she worked under the patronage of uh, Benito Mussolini. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the first thing that you read in that chapter is that Maria Montessori has uh, uh, the writing style with which she writes to Benito Mussolini is completely different from the writing style that she uses normally. She's uh, like a very strong and very direct woman. And with Benito Mussolini, often she sort of like, um, she says, like, you know, I, I really need your support. I'm an old lady. I would like to return to Italy. I really would like to see that sort of like training center being created. And it's uh, you know, I think it's um, it's sort of a, a way for her to find a space within a country that she wanted to go back to and uh, deciding not to directly engage with that for a few years. And when the demands of the fascist regime became unbearable, and this sort of like violence, everyday violence, you know, started to sort of penetrate uh, the way the fascist regime wanted her to teach her courses, she decided to leave. Mm -hmm. But again, I also think it's an important, uh, it's not a parenthesis that we can can carve out of her life. It must be discussed and it must be discussed in light of uh, the other million exceptional things that she did in her life.
1: Yeah, well, and this idea about. There's a very Italian Montessori, but also a global Montessori, and and in a c- encounters with references to the Montessori method in early 20th century Spain. I mean, I guess to the 19 teens um, when it starts to be imported uh, into Barcelona and to, to areas of Catalonia and, and across Spain. I, I would come across scattered references, and and they would always say, you know, there are Montessori schools here and there, and in India, and and, and this the growth of it um, as something that. Um, that, that that context, uh, that, that nation would also need to bring in in order to co- become more cosmopolitan, to globalize itself. And so this global Montessori, um, it seems, seems there's many ways to, to think about uh, the ways that she's navigating the world. And, and on that context, let's, I'd love to ask about your um, final chapter, which focuses on Montessori's decade of work in India. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, cosmic education, is that the term you used? Um, yeah. Can you tell us about this phase and what makes it decisive in this larger project piece?
0: Well, um, I mean, first of all, it's fairly unknown that Montessori was in India for so long. Uh, she was invited by the head of the Theosophical Society, uh, Arundel, and by his wife, Rukmini Devi. And I thought it was interesting. So I went to the Theosophical Society in, uh, uh, in the city of Chennai. And I thought that I would work on Montessori and Theosophy, which I did, but I thought I would work on uh, uh, Sydney Arundale, the person who officially invited her. And instead, I found myself drawn to the uh, Kalakshetra Center for the Arts, which is a a dance school that has been established by uh, the wife of uh, the, the head of the Theosophical Society, Rukmini Devi. And I started working on the fact that Montessori and Devi started thinking about the relationship between the child and the environment. Of course, Devi was a dance, dance teacher and it's an extremely renowned person uh, in India, much more than you know, the, the, the head of the Theosophical Society. I mean, I, I just uh, um, I was able to just you know, understand briefly because, of course, I was there for a summer. But to uh, sort of uh, understand how misplaced the emphasis was by studying Montessori from the US or from Italy, which is my case, if I hadn't gone there and I hadn't had access to the archives and see what was really you know, happening within the Theosophical Society now, I wouldn't have been able to understand sort of these uh, other connection with Rukmini Devi. Um, I mean, uh, it's. I think it working with Debbie allows Montessori, so she, Montessori had already talked about the connection between the child and the environment. She calls it the ecology at the time, but you know, I think it would now be translated to an environment um, and uh, um, and work to devise a curriculum for the uh, elementary years that would connect the child to sort of like, that would, would holistically have all subjects speak to one another and allow the child to see those connections within the curriculum. Montessori had already thought about that. But but she sort of like systematized this plan while she was in India. She probably had more time and uh, that she was lecturing less and traveling less. She was confined, you know, within the perimeters of the philosophical society being an Italian in India. So technically an enemy within the within India. And then she moved to uh, Hilton, Hilton station uh, uh, in the countryside. The town was called Kodai Canal. And there she there she was really isolated at the time to sort of like systematize the idea of cosmic education. But I do think that collaborating with this dancer uh, whose dance was uh, about controlling and sort of uh, uh, working on the technicality of movements, which is one of the foundation of the Montessori method. It's uh, the education of the senses and uh, tact being the first sense that is trained within the Montessori school. Um, and that allows for the harmony we spoke about in the very beginning of our conversation. uh, It's what sort of like brought her back to the origin of her thought and allowed her to devise deeper connections between the child and the environment. Uh, The idea also of uh, the connection between the, um, the concept of one life within theosophy, I thought it was interesting in thinking about how there are no boundaries between the subject and the universe. Uh, I think that that kind of conversation allowed her to sort of like extend her thought, go back to the beginning and extend what she was thinking about with, you know, the education of the senses and draw deeper connections to the ecology of the word she calls it. But ultimately what Montessori wants to better trace this connection between the origin of her thought and, you know, the years prior to her death, it's that you know, sort of the harmony that you have, like the harmony, she calls it grace, grace of movements. I think you translate it, grazia di movimenti, gracefulness of movements, I forget. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's the idea that you know how to move within a specific environment. And that kind of harmony then translate onto the empathy we talked about before between, uh, uh, you know, like... uh, uh, your actions are not gonna hinder uh, your classmates action because you can move so gracefully within you know, the space of the classroom that you're not gonna you know, sort of like bump on him or her, et cetera. So that translates from the physical level of not bumping on somebody to this sort of like uh, uh, empathic level of not hurting somebody. And you know, she just uh, goes back to that and is able to trace deeper connections to uh, not just the school environment, but more generally. What she called at the time ecology.
1: Well, it's it's all it's really fascinating, um, and I would love to ask many more questions, but um, I'll ask just one final question um, in this conversation, which is, what's next for you? Do you have related projects on the horizon that have spun out from from this? Things, threads you've discovered that you're you're chasing up, or, or new directions?
0: Um, I've been asked to work on Montessori a lot, uh, and it's fun. I think I, I will. Um, uh, Montessori was uh, um, in, Montessori was engaged with a theosophical thinker in Rome. So I'm thinking of writing something about Montessori, theosophy, Rome, sort of a couple of artists at the time who were engaged with Montessori working on, uh, again, artistic projects, but were, who were also theosophists. What I'm really looking for uh, is uh, uh, many of these uh, artist theosophists were doing seances. So I'm looking for a photo of Montessori and these people just doing a seance together. Oh, and wow. Like, like ghosts in the background. <laughs> I'm really I'm really looking to spice up the feed of Montessori studies with that. Definitely. <laughs> that would spice it up. <laughs> That's really
1: the theosophical and spiritual and cosmic. Yeah. That does them yeah. awesome too.
0: It's incredible in the direction. way. It's incredible the way like, uh, everybody seemed to know one another in Rome at the beginning mm. of the 20th century. So I'm, I'm trying to sort of like uh, um, uh, tire more to these couple of like uh, big artists in Rome. One of them is also Giacomo Balla, the famous futurist, who was also one of the main mm. organizer of the Seance. So I'm, I'm looking into that. But um, uh, I think I'll be working on, you uh, um, Uh, family unification, Uh, and I'm interested in how uh, we began thinking about reuniting children to their family as being the axiom of uh, um, sort of uh, rescue efforts if they were children experience war. And I think I'm going to be focusing on uh, uh, Italy and former colonial territories. So it's it's very much of a work in progress, and it spans out of uh, uh, my work on Montessori, because Montessori. um, the, in the conclusion of my book, I work on uh, uh, how Anna Freud used uh, the Montessori method in the Hampstead nurseries, mm-hmm. and so the uh, theory that comes out of the Hampstead nurseries and uh, Anna Freud's engagement and the sort of like post-war II humanitarian efforts in favor of children who have been separated from their family, and the theory of uh, uh, maternal and parental attachment and the you know importance of the bond between a child and their par- and his parents. Uh, It's something that is developed there. Now, Montessori does not directly contribute to that conversation, uh, nor she pays particular attention to the relationship between, uh, um, I mean, she of course says that the relationship between the child and his parents is important, but she doesn't, you know, directly address that. But uh, the Montessori method is used by Anna Freud as, you know, the most effective with these children. uh, uh, And I argue that at the end of my book. So um, I'm kind of, it's a, tightly, you know, sort of there's a tiny connection with what I've been working on until now.
1: Wow, wonderful. Well, I've so enjoyed learning more and going further to depth on this, this, this work that fascinates me so much. Um, and there are, as you spoke, where there's just more and more uh, intriguing um, <laughs> little, little aspects of, of, of her work and thought that are just so under unknown and and um, Really, really fascinating, um, and it linked into all aspects of society, society and discussion, and, and politics, and culture, and, and art of the 20th century. So, um, I am, am very gl- glad we've had this chance to speak, and um, thank you so much for for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online shcy.org